Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 28 of the Benzo Free Podcast. As always, I like to check in with you at the beginning. How how are you? How how's your day going? How how are your symptoms? Honestly, think about it for a second. I'll wait. So what response did you come up with? Is it a good day or a bad day? I'm sure many of you might have said bad day, but a few of you said good. And for those of you who said good, write that down. Remember it. It's so easy to remember the bad days, but we so often forget the good ones. And that creates a distortion of the perception of our condition. And distortions and perceptions, as you might have noticed by our title, is our topic of the week. But, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. As many of you have noticed, um, it's been a wild ride at Benzofree lately. On July 11th, World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day, I hosted our very first live feed on the WBAD Facebook page. We had a few technical difficulties kicking off, but I think it went pretty well. If you were watching, let me know. I have to admit I was nervous going in. Um, I'm not usually. I usually can do public speaking without breaking a sweat, but this was my first live stream, and honestly, with protracted benzo withdrawal, I have more anxiety than I used to about certain things. I shared my anxiety with my wife, and I had her on standby, as I mentioned in the live stream, in case nobody showed up to ask questions. Thankfully, that was not the case, and I had trouble keeping up with the questions, and I really appreciate that. I I hope it was helpful to some, and I just want to say I truly enjoyed the experience, and I want to thank WBAD for hosting this wonderful event. If you didn't get a chance to watch it, but you'd like to check it out, I posted a link to the video on our website at benzofree.org, or you can go to WBAD's Facebook page into their video sections and see all the ones that were hosted for that day. After this event, I was very eager to hear from some of the people who were new to Benzofree who might have tuned into the live stream but haven't listened to the podcast or been to the website. Unfortunately, we had a glitch. <laughs> we experienced some server problems on our website that same week, as many of you know by now. And anyone who tried to contact us probably couldn't have gotten through. At first, it looked like this was just an email problem with our email accounts for podcast at support at and admin at benzofree.org. 
And on top of that, what complicated the matter was that our feedback form from our website uses one of those email addresses to send me the information. Thus, I received nothing that was submitted via that form while these email addresses were down. This was possibly the worst week of the year for this to happen with the WBAT event, but I did finally get them back online after a couple of days, well, at least temporarily. After announcing that the email accounts and our feedback form were back online, I lost them again. I contacted my hosting provider again, and when they investigated it, they discovered malware, which is like a virus, on my account, and they shut it down completely. Just took our website right offline. And they referred me to a site security firm to help me clean it, who charges hundreds of dollars for their services, money I just didn't have. Thus, I started to work the problem and found the pages that were infected, removed them or cleaned them, reloaded a backup copy of the site, and got the site back up and running on Saturday. Since then, I have added some additional malware protection on our site, which hopefully will prevent this from happening in the future. Through all this, I just want to say thank you to everyone for your patience in this matter. I'm, I'm so sorry for any inconvenience it may have caused, and I hope you will stick with BenzoFree, return to the website, and stick with us as we move forward. One important note I do want to make clear here is that if anyone sent an email to any of those email addresses, podcast at, admin at, or support at benzofree.org, or completed the feedback form in the last week or two, and have not received a direct email response from me, then I did not receive your comment, question, story, or suggestion. And please, I hope you will try again, because I really want to hear from you. Okay, that is done. Moving on. The good news this past week was after we remedied the website issues, I did get away to the mountains for a short weekend. Not as long as I had hoped, and not quite as relaxing as I would have wished, but still, it was good to get away. This is something that is important for all of us. I received an email a couple of days ago from a listener who also mentioned about getting away. She escaped to upstate New York and then to Cape Cod to let, her, let herself heal. It's so important for us to realize that we are healing and that we need to take care of ourselves. And sometimes that means escaping the chaos of our average everyday world. I know this is not easy to do for so many of you. Some of you have jobs or family responsibilities, which make this very difficult. For others, your symptoms are too strong to even consider a mini vacation. But for those of you who are able, take time for yourself and get away. And take time to heal. Now, if only I would take my own advice. <laughs> I'm trying, I promise. Today's format will follow our normal routine. We have our intro, mailbag, and benzo story, and we'll close out with our moment of peace. Our feature today is Perception Symptoms in Benzo Withdrawal. This is part nine of our ongoing 14-part series on the symptoms of benzo withdrawal. Yes, we're still going strong with this one. Today, we're going to talk about depersonalization, derealization, hallucinations, and other perceptual distortions. 
And just in case you thought I forgot or that you thought I might not mention it since, you know, we were offline for so long, we need feedback. And now that things are working, please don't be afraid to use our email address or our feedback form. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. Why there are only nine planets in our solar system and then we're eight and now there may be nine again or even more. I just can't keep up. Anyway, I need feedback. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes the community it was designed to be. So please, tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. If you want to know about anything related to Benzo Free, sign up for our email list. That is our primary form of communication. And please remember that the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on to our mailbag. Today we have two questions in the mailbag. The first one is from Annie in Vero Beach, Florida, USA. Annie says, I would like your opinion on something. I have been an RN for 37 years. Never once in all those years did anyone tell me or teach me how bad benzo withdrawal can be. My doctor sure didn't, not even the psych doc who prescribed for me the last 12 years. I have always figured that perhaps such a small percent of people do have a bad withdrawal that we are written off as neurotic if we tell them the truth. What do you think on this subject? What is keeping the whole truth from everyone? All of my buddies wonder about this, and almost all of us think at first we have gone insane. I know I sure did. Thank you, Annie. Really appreciate the question. I struggle with this one a lot. I agree. It feels like this should have been solved many, many years ago, but it's not. These drugs have been on the market for over 50 years. What's taking so long? What first came to mind when I read Annie's email was the interview with Dr. Stephen Wright we did. I asked in that conversation what it's going to take to actually change things. And he said a crisis. I'm afraid he may be right. We are all creatures of habit and tend to think that what we believe is right. And that includes doctors just as much as the rest of us. According to the research I did for my book, about 45% of long-term benzo users, that's people who have taken the drugs longer than two to four weeks of continuous use, will experience a difficult withdrawal period. And that about 10 to 15% will experience protracted withdrawal, lasting longer than 18 months past your last dose. Now, these numbers are just composites I've averaged from a collection of statistics from Ashton and others. Other numbers may vary, and it depends on your source. But that being said, the number of people who experience problems they withdraw can be as high as half. And if that's the case, then why aren't more people knowledgeable about this? One factor in this might be that many people who are experiencing withdrawal problems have no idea what's causing them. 
many don't even know these drugs can cause symptoms. So they might suffer symptoms and may even get them checked out and then get misdiagnosed for a series of ailments, including muscle strain or neuropathy or hot flashes, perimenopause, tinnitus, depersonalization, derealization, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, and so many others. And they are never told their symptoms may be related to these drugs. So as for what percentage of patients which have withdrawal symptoms and know they are related to withdrawal or have a doctor who knows they are related to withdrawal or even has a doctor who will believe them, well, that number might be pretty low. And and when a doctor might see a patient withdrawal without any serious complications, which some do, they also might assume all patients will have a similar experience. This is a complicated problem, and I'm only covering a few possibilities for why this is still going on. But this needs to be handled at multiple levels, and it is. A lot of good people are working on this. But it's tough to change the minds of thousands of people, even an entire institution, like the medical community, especially when they have been told that these drugs are safe by so many others. Let's take our next question. This one is from Trevor in Canada. Trevor says, I am really enjoying the podcast series. Since I completed my withdrawal from diazepam seven months ago, I have had my symptoms gradually diminish. When I have more brain available, I will go into my story. I really appreciate the podcast for a special reason. Since my withdrawal up until the present, it is extremely difficult for me to research on the computer, to read and comprehend. By the time I spend about 10 to 15 minutes trying to research and understand some aspect of my symptomology, my head is clouded, clenched, and my whole body is buzzing. So information on what I was going through came in concentrated bursts when I forced myself to understand something important or urgent. Because of this approach, I never had a broad, overall understanding of BWS. Your podcasts are wonderful for me because I can gain information and understanding without the pain, discomfort, and follow-up destimulation relaxation required when I do my own research. It has offered understanding on a few areas that I hadn't really paid much attention to previously, as they seemed non-urgent. Part of me wishes I had found your podcast earlier, but the rational part of me realizes that now is the right time for me to comprehend and make use of the information. Anyways, I have a question for your podcast. The above issue I have with the inability to do concentrated work involving reading and comprehension severely impacts my ability to return to the workforce. Do you have any idea how long something like this tends to last? And if it is another common set of symptoms... Any tips on improving it? I force myself to research, read, and comprehend, but it is exhausting. And with my learning memory still impaired, it doesn't really stay in my head for long anyways. Another symptom that is really difficult to translate into employment. Please keep up the amazing job. I can really see the dramatic improvement in yourself and in the podcast from the first to the 25th one. All the best, Trevor. 
Oh, thanks, Trevor. I'm I'm glad you can see the improvements in the podcast, and I really appreciate you letting me know. I, I hope it's getting better over time. I'm I'm always open to making changes for the better, so please, everyone, let me know any suggestions you might have. Since Trevor first sent that question in early July, he and I have corresponded back and forth via email several times. As I've mentioned in this podcast more than once, those of you who listen to this podcast, and especially those who comment or email me, help me as much, if not more, than I hope I help you. And Trevor is definitely no exception. One of the common traits I see in those of you who have not just survived benzo withdrawal, but even thrived once it is over, is a specific mindset. I've talked about this many times on our podcast, and I'm happy to say that this core principle still holds true in what I've seen in so many of you. Trevor is one of those who clearly has a very healthy mindset about his healing, and he came to it on his own as so many of us have done. We found, often through trial and error, what works and what helps us survive this trial. And this mindset is key to that recovery. Anyway, back to Trevor's actual question. Cognitive dysfunction sucks. It just does. I I would love to say that my brain is 100% healed, but I struggle with cognitive dysfunction and memory loss all the time. In fact, Recently, I've really been struggling with it. I've been forgetting a lot of things again. God, I would love to say that I'm fully healed, but I just can't. Cog fog, memory loss, anxiety, these are some of the last symptoms to heal. For some of us, it may take several years. Regardless of how desperately so many of us want a timeline on our healing, there is none. Everyone is different, and that goes for almost every symptom in benzo withdrawal. As I mentioned, I've noticed more lapses in my own memory and brain function lately. It it may be tied to a wave, which I still get, or just that I've been doing so much lately that my brain is just trying to keep up. As I mentioned in the intro, it's so easy to forget and not take care of ourselves, especially when you start to return to the land of living and get busy. This is what happened to me recently. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine brought some work my way, some database and statistical work. As many of you know, I was a database programmer for over 25 years, but I had to walk away from my last two contracts a couple of years ago due to memory loss, cognitive dysfunction, and anxiety. I love doing the podcast and writing the book was a true passion of mine, but neither come close to paying any bills. So when this opportunity came up, I was intrigued, and the idea of bringing in some income was exciting. Also, I could work on this at home and somewhat at my own pace and still keep the podcast going, which was great. So I took it on and dived right in while I wasn't prepping podcasts or removing malware from my website. Now, pre-Benzos, I developed data warehouses for Fortune 100 companies and did it for a few decades. But I must admit, when I got the data for this project, I started to load it into a small desktop database app, even though it was really not robust enough to handle the demands of the project. The, the, The truth is, I figured this was a safer choice. 
It was a much simpler program, and I could get up to speed faster and hopefully still be able to do some of the work with it. To, to be honest, my confidence when it came to database programming was still pretty low, and I thought this was the best I could do. But you know what? I, I stopped myself. I decided if I wanted to pull in some side work on databases at some point, this small application wasn't going to do it. I needed to work with a large corporate DB engine. So I switched and brought up the big daddy on my screen, the one I'm most familiar working with. And I stared at it with some trepidation, to be honest. But you know what? It came back to me faster than I expected. In fact, within a couple of days, I was writing raw code to load, normalize, and analyze the data. And it felt really good. Really good. I found myself looking forward to working with data again. Now, as I mentioned in my book, my passions still lie with writing and teaching. But I also enjoy database programming, and it sure is nice to know that I can still do this. And even more so, make a little money and provide for my family. That's a big one. As so many of you know, our inability to hold a job for some of us is a huge hit on our self-esteem during withdrawal. Benzofree, the book, and the podcast help me feel useful again, and it's been wonderful. But I still don't have any way to make a living, to provide at least some financial support to my family, and that is huge for me and for so many of you. So to realize that I can still do what I used to do to make money was a big shot in the arm for me. Now, I am very hopeful that some database work, including this project, can help provide the financial support I would like to provide for my family. And it also allows me to keep the podcast and my writing going. And that would be awesome. Now, like I said in the beginning of this answer, it's come with some complications. My memory lately has been lapsing, and I get overwhelmed pretty easily. But I guess that shouldn't be a big surprise. It's been a couple of years, and between the podcast, the database project, the live stream, and all the problems with the website lately, I've been stretching myself pretty thin. So I guess I should expect some complications. Still, I have to admit, I'm pretty excited. I can work again, and I'm enjoying the work. And that work just might help me support the podcast. And that would make me very happy. So back to your question, Trevor. I'm sorry to say there is no timeline. I wish there was, but there isn't. Just remember that we do heal slowly over time. The mind stuff is going to come back, Trevor. It does. It's been coming back for me, even though I still get waves now and then. But I'm pushing myself pretty hard right now. So... I'm just not quite a hundred percent, but maybe 80 or 90, maybe. Try to maintain a good, positive mindset. Realize you will heal over time and allow yourself to make some mistakes now and then. Getting mad at yourself for forgetting things or for not functioning properly or getting overwhelmed just makes the problem worse. I know because I do it all the time. The best thing to do is when you forget something or can't do something is to remember, ah, uh, it's just a symptom. 
it will get better over time. As for work, I wish I had a better answer for you, Trevor. I don't know when you're ready to go back. I don't know when you're ready to be able to get working again. Only you know that one. It may be a little while, and it may happen tomorrow. I I wish I had a better answer. But it will happen. You will get there. But in the meantime, just take care of yourself. And right back soon. It's always good to talk with you. And that closes our mailbag for today. I know it was a little bit long, but had some good ones I wanted to, to elaborate on, so I hope you didn't mind. Sorry if I carried on a little bit on that last one with my own story, but I thought it might have been relevant, and I, I hope you feel the same way. Let's move on to our Benzo story. Today I have a short story from Pamela in Louisiana, USA. Pamela writes, My Benzo story began with a trip to a doctor. I was 48 and experiencing insomnia, which I thought was due to menopause. He prescribed one milligram of Ativan, which I took at bedtime for the last nine years, increasing to two milligrams the last five of the nine, only at bedtime. When I began seeing a new doctor, she immediately asked me if I thought this was still working. I explained that I didn't know, but I felt as though I was experiencing what I now know to be tolerance. She advised I begin a taper due to new information that long-term use could cause early-onset dementia or worse, Alzheimer's. So we started with a slow taper. I cut from 2 milligrams to 1 milligrams for several months, then to a half for several weeks, and then nothing. I am now day 63 benzo-free. I have experienced tingling and numbness in my extremities, insomnia which has begun to get much better, and I'm taking melatonin. I thank God for my precious husband who has stayed up with me so many nights. I also have experienced random phantom pains, feelings of inner shaking as well. I am devastated that I had no idea what this drug had done to me. I'm an avid runner and love exercise, which has been a godsend. Thank God for this new doctor and her wisdom. But I must thank you, Dee. I can't tell you what your podcast has meant to me. Had it not been for the Benzo Free podcast and blogs and information and your book, I would have been unprepared for what I was facing. Please don't stop giving us this life-saving information. I'm forever grateful and humbled. I'm 57 and been so free. Well, first off, congratulations, Pamela. That is wonderful. I love sharing success stories on here. It always feels good to be able to say you're been so free. And thank you so much for your kind words about the book and podcast. I am so blessed that these projects have helped people. And I am so grateful that you have shared that with me. Thank you so much for that. I'm so glad you found a doctor to work with. She sounds great. I wish that everyone who is listening could have an experience like you've had. And thank you for telling us about your husband. I always love it when our listeners share about their caregivers. They have a thankless job and sometimes need support as much as we do. Thanks again for sharing your story. It was such a pleasure to share it here. 
I am so glad you are doing better, and I wish you the best of everything as you move forward. And for the rest of you, please don't forget, we still need stories. Short ones, long ones, even if it's just a paragraph or two, I'd love to share it here. I only have about one or two in the queue again, so I need some for upcoming episodes, and now that we're back online, please don't be afraid to send them in. Just go to our feedback form on benzofree.org slash feedback and share your story or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget, you can submit your story in your own voice. Instructions for this are on the feedback page. And now on to our feature. Today, our feature topic is Perception Symptoms of Benzo Withdrawal. This is part nine in our ongoing series of Benzo Withdrawal. And as I mentioned in the intro, the symptoms in this category include depersonalization and derealization, hallucinations, and other perceptual distortions. Let's first start out with depersonalization and derealization disorder, or as some refer to it as DPDR, or even DDD. To put it simply, both of these disorders are related to feeling detached from reality. Depersonalization is feeling detached from yourself, as if you're viewing yourself from outside your body. Many people say they can look in the mirror but don't recognize themselves. The world around them feels threatening and unsafe. Some say it's as if being trapped in a fog. Derealization is feeling disconnected from your surroundings, almost like you're living in a dreamlike state. Vertigo and lightheadedness also are common with this feeling. Derealization is often connected to depersonalization, but they can occur separately. Still, we'll deal with them together for the purposes of our discussion today. Although many people today still have never heard of this disorder, depersonalization first appeared in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, back in 1968. So this diagnosis has been around for a long time. In that edition of the DSM, it was described as a feeling of unreality and of estrangement from the self, body, or surroundings. So what is DPDR like? In a 2016 article in Elle magazine, the author shared the experiences of a woman named Sandy Gale. She described it this way. It's as if she is separated from others by an invisible barrier, as though herself doesn't completely fill out her skin, or that she is like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. But none of them, she says, really captures how she feels. Nobody really gets it, she says, sighing. Nobody. Most of us who experience benzo withdrawal with or without DPDR have often said the same thing. Nobody really gets it. But also just like benzos, many have attempted to raise awareness about DPDR. In 2007, the actor Matthew Perry starred in a film titled Numb. Some of you may be familiar with this movie. The movie also stars Kevin Pollack and Mary Steenburgen and was written by a man named Harris Goldberg. Now, I realize that name is going to mean nothing to the vast majority of you. And as a former screenwriter myself, I understand that nobody ever knows the screenwriter of major motion pictures, and that's okay. 
But Goldberg has been around for a while. He also penned classic comedies like Stripes and Meatballs, and he produced films like Junior, Road Trip, and Old School, among many others. The film Numb was also Goldberg's directorial debut. He chose this film to direct because it was very close to his heart. Why? Well, you might be able to guess. Harris Goldberg also suffers from depersonalization himself. Now, I mention that movie here because, honestly, there's not a lot of films that cover conditions like ours, like DPDR or Benza Withdrawal. And, honestly, I'm not even recommending this movie to anyone, primarily because, well, I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Watching movies about mental health was a trigger for me during withdrawal, so even though I came across it when I was writing my book, I avoided it at the time. But now, honestly, I think I might check it out. In fact, I might even go see if I can find it online and watch it tonight. In a 2007 article in the Huffington Post by Goldberg, he shares a bit about his experience with depersonalization. He says, Before Numb, I was considered a high-concept studio comedy writer. Little did I know during those years of delivering broad films with big set pieces to score that high double-digit opening weekend, my mind was getting ready for something I could never have predicted. The prediction came true on the night of February 14, 1991, where I hit a wall so bizarre, so strange, so painful, that I'd wonder if I'd ever make it out alive. It took years of silent suffering before I had the wherewithal to write what was happening to me. I called it numb because that's exactly how I felt. Numb to everything around me, including myself. No one ever knew. No one could ever tell. It's ironic that as I research more about DPDR in the general public, the similarities not just of DPDR as a symptom of withdrawal, but to benzo withdrawal as a whole. The lack of knowledge of these disorders in the general public, the feelings of isolation, of suffering, and especially the realization that no one else truly understands what we're going through. These commonalities exist throughout so many psychiatric conditions. Now, let's take a look at depersonalization and derealization within benzo withdrawal. You know what? I think the best place to look for a good description of DPDR within benzo withdrawal is from you, the listener. This one is from one of our listeners. I live with this overwhelming, horrible feeling of being inside a plastic bag that is smeared with Vaseline. Here, but not quite, a foggy, distant feeling of having a stuffed-up head. But that doesn't quite describe it either. I guess it is depersonalization, this weird sense of being separate from the world and everything around me. I forget about it only when I am engaged with another person. Not, not sure it goes away, but I lose awareness of it for periods of time, fleeting ones. That in some ways is the worst symptom. Just feels like something needs to pop in my head and clear out. Stuck inside of this little cage of my brain, wanting so much to feel clear again. Be able to think clearly and write and create again. I thought that was an excellent explanation of this symptom, and I thank so much to the listener who shared that with me. 
According to Professor Ashton, derealization and depersonalization are most frequent with rapid withdrawal from benzos and especially with withdrawal from clonazepam or clonopin. She explains it this way. In these states, the person seems detached from his body and seems almost to be observing it from the outside. Similar experiences are described in near-death states when the individual feels that he is hovering above his body, detached from the events occurring below. They are also described by people involved in extreme emergencies and an individual subjected to torture. They are clearly not specific to benzodiazepines. Ashton also adds that these symptoms can be part of our normal defense reaction to excessive suffering. She adds, they may involve a primitive brain mechanism similar to the freezing of some animals when presented with an inescapable danger. She does emphasize in her manual, as she does with almost all symptoms, that these feelings resolve over time and are not a sign of someone who is abnormal or crazy. Depersonalization and derealization is very bizarre, and it's a very frightening condition. Unfortunately, it is also very common in benzo withdrawal. I haven't really experienced this symptom directly, but I've corresponded with so many of you who have. I say haven't really because I have noticed very mild signs, I think, of this on occasion, but nothing significant or recurring, and I might just be imagining things. I guess, well, that might be part of it. <laughs> anyway, I really can't relate to this ongoing symptom. It's just not one I have experienced. But for those of you who do have this symptom, it is a true struggle, and I get that, and I completely empathize with your plight. One of the key hurdles in benzo withdrawal is that it not only causes all of these physical symptoms, some painful and even debilitating, but it also affects our mental capabilities to handle them rationally. Our memory lapses, we get overwhelmed easily, we get angered easily, we can't think straight, we have increased anxiety and depression. And on top of all that, many of you also have a sense that you are not yourself or that the world around you is not real. It's not fair. Aren't, aren't these physical symptoms we have to deal with enough? Isn't this enough to deal with? We don't have to toss on this whole mental anguish on top of it? I don't know. Sometimes I too get carried away with what we are going through and it overwhelms me, as I know it overwhelms so many of you. I wish I could make it go away, but you know I can't. The good news is that these sensations usually abate over time and that there is treatment. In fact, we're going to talk more about this after we touch on a few other symptoms first. Now, let's take a look at hallucinations and perceptual distortions. The DSM-5 defines hallucinations as perception-like experiences that occur without an external stimulus. I like simple explanations like that. So basically, it is experiencing something visual, auditory, tactile, etc., which was not stimulated by something external. Hallucinations are perhaps the most terrifying of all possible symptoms. Much like DPDR, they are more common in people attempting rapid detox from benzos and are very uncommon with a slow taper. Ashton said the following about hallucinations in her manual. 
terrifying hallucinations have occurred in people undergoing rapid or abrupt withdrawal from high doses, but the reader can be reassured that they are exceedingly rare with slow dosages. Most of the hallucinations tied with benzo withdrawal are visual in nature, where patients describe visions of like a large animal in the room or horn sprouting from a human head. But other non-visual hallucinations do also occur, including auditory, olfactory, and tactile ones. Some of the less frightening hallucinations include those of small animals, usually insects. And this can be tied with paresthesia, the nerve sensation that insects are crawling on one's skin. And many of these can blend with perceptual distortions. Let's take a look at those for a second. A perceptual distortion basically means the incorrect or abnormal understanding of a perceptual experience. It's when a person's response varies from the common response to a specific stimuli. Many categorize depersonalization and derealization under perceptual distortions, so all of these symptoms are linked. Examples of perceptual distortions in benzo withdrawal include the sensation that the floor is undulating, or the feeling of motion, or impressions of walls or floors tilting, or a sensation of walking on cotton or wool, among so many others. Some of the most common diagnosis of perceptual symptoms include photophobia, which is light sensitivity, or hyperacusis, which is sound sensitivity. Thus, hypersensitivity often bleeds into perceptual distortions, too. So, categorizing these symptoms can be difficult. And sometimes, hallucinations merge with perceptual distortions and create a combined effect. The mechanisms behind these symptoms are similar to delirium tremens, which are hallucinations common with detoxification from alcohol or other addictive substances. In fact, the abrupt withdrawal from benzos also releases a flood of dopamine, serotonin, and other neurotransmitters, which can cause hallucinations similar to alcohol withdrawal. According to Ashton, once the hallucinations are recognized as merely hallucinations, they rapidly become less alarming. She says, They do not herald the onset of madness. They are simply instances of benzodiazepines playing tricks on the brain which will write itself in time. A good mentor can usually reassure and talk down a person suffering from benzodiazepine withdrawal-induced hallucinations. In any case, they should not worry anyone undergoing slow withdrawal. Hallucinations can be terrifying to the unprepared mind, but with some help you can learn how to deal with them and live a healthier life. Honestly, the most effective treatment for this category of symptoms is therapy. Sometimes medications may be prescribed to help in extreme cases, but most of us at this stage have become somewhat, well, distrustful of medications, as we all know. So that may not be an acceptable option for so many of us. A common medication treatment for hallucinations, especially with delirium tremens from alcohol detox, is benzodiazepines. <laughs> Big surprise there, huh? Benzos have actually been found to be very useful in treating hallucinations when the cause is alcohol detox, but that is not the case for other causes of hallucinations. According to a study published in the Primary Care Companion to the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry titled 
Visual Hallucinations, Differential Diagnosis and Treatment. The author said, Benzodiazepines are the treatment of choice for delirium tremens, but they will almost certainly worsen a delirium due to any other cause. Another medication used to treat visual hallucinations are neuroleptic medications or dopamine antagonists, such as Thorazine, Risperdal, or Seroquel. These drugs bind to and block dopamine receptors and thus turn down the dopamine activity. Yes, this sounds eerily familiar to me too. If benzo withdrawal is caused primarily by the downregulation of GABA receptors, are there similar consequences when dopamine receptors are downregulated? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. The treatment for hallucinations depends significantly on the cause. As for benzo withdrawal triggered hallucinations, therapy has been found to be the most effective. As with any medication during benzo withdrawal, please use caution and work with your doctor. Any medication can complicate your withdrawal, so please get educated and know what you're taking. Cognitive behavioral therapy and psychodynamic therapy are common treatments for these conditions, and they have fewer side effects than medications. They help the patient understand the causes and teach them techniques to help deal with their symptoms so the patient can feel more connected to their feelings and the world around them and gain control over these illusions. According to an article from the Mayo Clinic on DPDR, psychotherapy helps the patient do five things. One, understand why depersonalization and derealization occur. Two, Learn techniques that distract from your symptoms and make you feel more connected to your world and feelings. Three, learn coping strategies to deal with stressful situations and times of extreme stress. Four, address the emotions related to past trauma you've experienced. And five, address other mental health conditions such as anxiety or depression. Most of these symptoms can be managed with an understanding of their cause and development of tools to manage them and your reactions. In closing, perception symptoms during withdrawal, much like anxiety, make everything else worse. It's increasingly difficult to focus on your healing when you can't clearly identify reality or see things that aren't there or can't even feel like you are yourself. The good news, as I've said a hundred times, is that these symptoms of benzo withdrawal are temporary, and they do ease with time. Therapy is the go-to solution for the symptoms, so if you need help, get it. I hope this feature has been helpful to people. And please let me know if you have any further questions on this topic. I'm happy to answer them in our upcoming editions of our mailbag. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And please remember that you are healing and all of our symptoms are just that, symptoms. They're responses to this journey of healing we are on. Symptoms come and they go. And the less we focus on them, the less power they have over us. And that wraps up our feature. Before we ease into our moment of peace, Give me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal or professional services. 
The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that should you not be in a safe place, this is not the time to do this. Please wait until you are in a place where you can close your eyes and meditate safely. Today we are going to return to loving-kindness meditation or meta-meditation. This is one of my favorites. It's quite simple, actually. In meta-meditation, you are sending out goodwill. Mantras vary depending on the message you want to convey, but they usually start with, May I, or may you feel. You can send this to yourself, a loved one, a friend, a stranger, or even a perceived enemy. Some of my favorite mantras in meta-meditation are, may you be at peace, or may you feel loved, or may you be safe, or happy. A good one for Benza withdrawal is, may you be free of suffering. When you say your mantra, try and feel the emotions linked to it and send them along with your message. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And focus on your mantra such as May you be free 
of suffering. And if your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your mantra. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. next episode is episode 29 and it will be released next Wednesday thank you again for joining me today and please let me know how we did keep calm taper slowly and take care of yourself I'll see you next time